Good morning, everyone. It is always a privilege to be able to speak to you and share God's word. Uh, Jerome and I got together about a week ago, a week and a half, and he asked me if I would speak again. And um, we talked about what he's been discussing, now worship. And I said, I've got a great segue, actually kind of a tangent, but I want to talk about part of that as well, because he's done a, a wonderful job in explaining worship to us and acknowledging how important it is to what we do in our worship service. But it's a part of our lives. It's a part of the fabric of who we are and how we relate to God. So if you would join me, first of all, I want to ask God to bless and inspire what I'll be sharing with you this morning. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the privilege of coming into your throne room. And we know that it is by Christ's blood that we've been given entrance into the Holy of Holies. We thank you. We praise you for that. I ask, Father, as we have an audience with you, that you would inspire via the Holy Spirit everything that's spoken, that your words would plant life and plant seeds in us, and we would be reminded of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. We ask and pray it, and we thank you in Jesus' holy and righteous name. Amen. There are a number of things I wanted to do to introduce the subject, and part of it was worship, because worship is so important in what we do as we enter into, our, into the presence of God. There are really two basic genres, types of music that the church has praised, praised God with, prayed with, uh, lifted up to God, and broad categories, obviously, but the one is we thank God for who He is. We lift His name on high. It's like the Lord's Prayer says, hallowed be thy name. So we lift up his name in praise. We thank him for who he is and what he's doing. But the other one is, many times we pray and we ask God to help us, to direct our lives, to uh, show us what we need to be doing. It's, it's kind of the, God, we love you so much, please show us, please pour more into us. And both are valid and both are very important. God tells us that his servants, his saints, will lift up his name in praise. And that's what Jerome has been talking about the last few weeks. There's something that I was reminded of, and I had to dig a while to find this, because I know it had kind of been stuck back in a corner, corner of my brain. But it's the encounter where one of God's uh, uh, kings, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, instructed his people in how to go to war. So in sending them off to war, he didn't put the uh, marksmen in the front. He put the singers in the front. And it's so amazing that he tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. And this was not given to our wonderful sound crew because uh, I threw it in there this morning. But 2 Chronicles 20, verses 20 and 21. It says, early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, this is the New International Version, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. So they went out in front of the army. 
And you might think, wait a minute, don't you want the archers and the marksmen and the warriors out in front? No, God showed him to put the worshipers out in front. And what's going to happen, he says, and you will be successful. You will be successful. And so as they began, verse 22, to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. I'll give you a free tidbit. Jerome often does that. As I was reading this, I thought, isn't it interesting that this is 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, and verse 21. So we have 2020 and 2021. Okay, I'm a numbers guy. I sometimes throw that together. Don't take that for gospel truth. But I found it interesting because I want to lead today with a worship song, a hymn, if you will. Uh, it goes back to the church all the way back to around 1915, I believe, is when the wife of the man who composed this uh, published it as a book of poems that her husband had written. Uh, I had forgotten this, I guess. We lived in western New York. I did for over 20 years. My wife has 10 years more than that. Uh, actually, about 17 more years than that. She lived in western New York. And this minister would go out often early in the morning on his walks. And in his walks, he would consult with God. He would talk with God. He would hear from God. And as he looked around the beauty, it was up in upstate New York in the town of Lockport. And from there, he could see Lake Ontario, which is an amazing, beautiful lake. Uh, good part of the year, it's beautiful. In the middle of winter, when it's dumping 42 inches of snow on you, it's not as pretty. But there's something majestic about that lake. He penned this song, This Is My Father's World. Now, before we play that, one more thing I want to say because I know Jerome has been talking about music. I'm not trying to give you a new uh, genre and tell you this is the best. I'm not saying all worship should be of this somewhat country variety. That's not the purpose. I would like for you to let this song just roll over you, and then I would like to share some of those verses with you. So if you would please play this song. It's by Amy Grant. Uh, the song, This Is My Father's World.
beautifully puts to words what the message of God's word is, that he cares for us, that he takes care of all of our needs. Uh, I came across this song uh, maybe a couple months ago. I was going through one of those seasons as uh, was being talked about this morning in the worship where stress was coming, uncertainty about various things, and I sat down to do my devotions. I played a different song. This one kind of popped up on my YouTube list, and I said, oh, that's one I haven't heard for a while. I listened to it. And then everything that happened after that, that morning and that day, kept taking me back to that song. And I thought, I doubt God so much. I love the fact that our worship team uh, had us sing along with I Surrender All. I love that song. Often I hum it, I think of it, and yet I catch myself many times. And if you're honest, you catch yourself saying, Oh Lord, I surrender all. But not that one thing. Let's forget about the, I surrender all. Oh, but what about that? Well, that's okay. I surrender all. And we hang on to things. There are things that we don't. So as I'm listening to the song, I'm thinking, this is my father's world, but I don't like a lot of what I see in the world. Well, he didn't ask me. He didn't consult with me, did he? Uh, I don't have the solutions, but there are things that I see going on. We are in the stress of 2020, 2021. That's why I shared those numbers with you. Uh, these last few weeks even have been reminders of 9-11, and then what happened as we pulled out of Afghanistan and we look around and we come back to this song that tells the truth of Scripture that God has it. He has everything in his hands. It, it is all in his control. I was reminded of what the disciples did. So you know what? If we wonder why God's doing what he's doing or we're not sure or it doesn't always make sense, we're actually in very good company because the disciples were with Jesus. They heard him firsthand. They sat and were taught by him. And yet they didn't get the picture because they asked things like Acts chapter 1 where they said, but Lord, is Acts 1 verse 6, will you restore the kingdom to Israel now? Because they were following Jesus. They loved to talk about power and authority and what God was going to do and God's government and God's peace and everything was going to rule. So they're sitting there saying, yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, yeah, will you restore the kingdom now? And Jesus answered what? No, not yet. It's not for us to know the times or the seasons. The very things that the Father has fixed by his authority. But I go back to the song. This is my father's world. He is doing something. He is up to something. And he asks us, he invites us to participate with him in that. And yet sometimes, sometimes we look at the world and we say, if God's on his throne, if God is on his throne, why does he allow this? The very question in essence that the disciples were asking Jesus, and Jesus said, hey guys, not yet, not yet. This is going to be taken care of. My heavenly Father, your Father, is going to see to it that this is accomplished, but it's not yet. So I link back to worship 
Worship is the way that we bond with our Savior. We bond with our Heavenly Father. It's the way we connect with Him. If He sends singers into battle in front of the others, what happens when we're in a spiritual battle? That's why worship is so important, because it connects us with our Heavenly Father. We get to commune with Him. We get to spend time with Him. He speaks to us. That song, I, got stu- I have stuck in my head now. It's rolling around. When I played it for my wife and I said, maybe we could, uh, I could play that at the beginning of my sermon, she goes, well, maybe we should find another version. So my wife, my partner for 40 years, our anniversary is next weekend, 40 years. I won't tell them what else is happening today. They can find out from my wife. I didn't say it, honey. Uh, we looked for a different song, but somehow this one just was so beautiful. She said, she walked up to me this morning. She said, you know, ever since you played that, it's stuck in my head. It's rolling around. I hope if you don't hate country music, you will let that roll around in your mind this week. And when you start getting stressed or you see something going on and you think, boy, I wish they'd fix that. I wish God would. Wait a minute. This is my father's world. Okay. Yes, it is. It's so wonderful. But God is taking care of all of that. The reason I also talked about the spiritual battles that go on. God sent the singers into warfare in front of the soldiers. You and I are in battles as well. In fact, God tells us to be aware of that because if we dismiss it, then we become easy prey for Satan, don't we? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 8. 8 to 12, I believe, is where I want to go. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 8. It says, we are pressed on every side by troubles. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like the world is kind of closing in? We all go through it for seasons, but sometimes when it lingers and goes on for a long time, it begins to discourage us and beat us down. But we are not crushed, Paul said. We are perplexed. I love that word, perplexed. Ever been perplexed? Something's happening, and you look at it and say, I can't believe this is happening. This doesn't make sense. This is not reasonable, rational, but it's happening. We may be perplexed, but not driven to despair. Don't give up hope. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. Do you know some of our brothers and sisters around the world who are Christians because they have that name, because they stand up for the cross, have been under assault, and we pray for them, but we've not been on that front battle line yet, have we? We are pressed on every side. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God, because God has it all. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies, in our life. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. And if we live in the face of death, this has also resulted in eternal life for you. Paul is talking about the fact that they, as servants of the gospel, have put their their life on the line for the church. And to a degree, we're seeing more and more of Christians and Christianity being singled out for ridicule. That's what's happening in our world. 
And when I begin to see that and sense that and feel it, I go back to that song that, wait a minute, God is on his throne. This is his world. He has a plan. Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they thought Israel was. They called Israel the kingdom. It was the kingdom of God to the Jewish people. The kingdom is referenced in the Gospels as the kingdom of heaven. And you and I are citizens of that kingdom. So I ask, you ask, Father, will you restore the kingdom at this time? And in essence, he says, only the Father knows. But you are citizens of that kingdom. And you're now living as those citizens. And you have a responsibility and a right to demonstrate that to others. Okay? He's with us. He's got us. He's got it covered. He will take care of us. But there are times, just as Paul said here, about being pressed by troubles, but never crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. I reflect on a verse that was shared with me probably over 30 years ago in a sermon I heard, and it was related to me by a couple widows after this fact. And I love it when widows share what God speaks into their lives because uh, when God speaks to a widow, I think there's a message for the church if we're willing to pay attention. She was going through a very difficult time. She had lost a son. Her husband was in a very difficult strait with dementia. He was ended up in a nursing home. And she said she recalled this verse that she had heard in a sermon uh, many years before. It's from Psalm 18 and verse 19. So Psalm 18 and verse 19, the New Living Translation says, He led me to a place of safety, and he rescued me because he delights in me. But the literal word in Hebrew, if you translate it literally into English, uh, Jerome does a wonderful job of explaining the dynamic equivalence and uh, translating from another language into English. We, we're so... Uh, deficient at times in understanding the richness of other language, certainly me, other languages. But this broad place, what God literally said to David, and what David was saying to us is, God took me to a broad place, a wide place is another translation of that. The uh, English Standard Version says, he brought me into a broad place. And when he brings us to a place like that, it's a place of rest, it's a place of peace. It's a place for reflection. And in many cases, remember when God took Moses for 40 years? Where did he take him? I love what it says there in Exodus. It says he took him to the backside of the desert. It wasn't enough to just take him to the desert or to take him in a corner. He took him to the backside, as far away from everything because God was training, God was working in his life. God was preparing him for something. So in this case, I believe what David was saying is God brought me to this place of rest, reflection, a time that I could recognize that he was there for me and he was working in my life. Well, God says the same thing to us. And that's why when we ask that question of, God, are you aware of what's happening in my life right now? Oh, God loves that. I believe God loves that. He even tells us, because David was a man after his own heart, that you can argue with God. I don't think you're going to gain the upper hand if you do, but go ahead and argue with him, because David did and God loved it. We can complain to him. You know why? 
Because God's got it all covered. Because he's big enough to handle that. So in our walk with him, God wants all of us. He wants us to draw closer to him, to come to that place. The question then that I'm transitioning from is, at times we're asking, as I look at the world and see the unsettledness, and I know that those who are our seniors who went through the Great Depression, who went through World War II, who went through many trials and tribulations in a very blessed nation, see that God was with them through it all. And we see some things shaking in the world around us. And we ask, God, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And Jesus says, it's not yet for us to know. But Jesus also tells us to be aware. I want to look at several verses in Mark chapter 13. As I was reading through Mark chapter 13, and I read it a couple of times, to just let that wash over me. Jesus told his disciples how important it was for them to be aware of what was happening in the world. We all know what's happening in the world. It's pressing in on us in many ways. And I hear the statement over and over again, and I myself fall into that as well. Boy, I can hardly wait till it goes back to normal, goes back to the way it was, goes back to, but wait a minute. What if it never goes back? What if where we are and where we're going is where God intends to take us? Jesus warned his disciples, Mark 13. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, this is Mark 13, verse 1, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And I think many times we look at the beautiful nation we live in, the beautiful world we are able to take advantage of, be blessed with. And Jesus said to him, verse 2, Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. That was the beginning of his warning, if you will, his uh, encouraging them to be aware and to be watchful. We just went through a season of remembering 9-11. And most people, if you're over the age of 25, 30, you know where you were when you first heard that because something changed about our nation. And when I was reading Mark 13 here, they were talking about how beautiful the temple was and Jesus said, but just wait, that's a building? That's physical? That's going to change because I'm up to something. And then Jesus gave his disciples the words of encouragement, but alarm, if you will, to be aware of what's happening. Verse 5, he says, I'm just going to hit about five highlights here in Mark 13. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. I believe from the Greek there it means to be aware, not just stand and look at something. It means to be aware, to understand the significance. He said that we should be watchful, be on guard, he says, verse 9. You must be on guard because of what's going to happen. Verse 23, skipping down, he says, so be on guard because I have told you everything ahead of time. He says again, he repeats it in this short discourse, and if you have uh, the words of Jesus in red in your Bible and the New Testament, 
you'll see that almost the entire chapter, chapter 13, is in red. Jesus is, is launching into a discourse and telling the disciples to be aware. Be on guard, verse 33. Be alert, he says, the second half of that verse. Therefore, he says, keep watch to be aware and watchful of what's happening. And if he comes suddenly, he says near the end of the verse there, don't let him find you sleeping. Don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So we are given that admonishment to be aware and to be watchful, to be alert because of what's happening. And yet, as we go through that ringer of life, God wants us to know that he's there with us, that he will never, ever leave us, nor ever, ever forsake us. Because God will always do what's best for his servants. And as he walks us through this life, he's preparing us for something far greater. And God is leading each one of us. And our prayers, hopefully, are, are, are a lot more... Uh, energized, focused, and recognizing that we are a blessed nation, but we can't take that for granted. We ask God to continue to bless and watch over his nation. We ask God on a daily basis to lead us, don't we? Sometimes we feel he's close by and guiding us, guarding us, protecting us. Other times we feel that he's taking his hand off and letting us make mistakes and finding our way but he will always be with us. And the last section of my sermon this morning I want to share is from uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Colossians 1, verses 10 through 12. We pray this, Paul says, to the church, we pray this, that in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and that you may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. That, that sums it up. That's who we are. That's what we're doing in our lives. That's what God is doing in our lives if we allow him to guide us and direct us. And I go back to that song. As I was fretting and fussing about things and I thought, well, what about this, God? And God would just nudge me and say, but remember you just listened to that song that says, I've got this, this is my world, that I'm going to take care of whatever it is. God is the ruler yet. That's right in the middle of that song. Though the wrong seems oft so strong, yet God is the ruler yet. So let's just highlight the points that he goes through in these couple brief verses. He says, first of all, we should be bearing fruit in every good work. There's a danger we all fall into, and I appreciate Pastor Jerome has often talked about that. We somehow think, we fall into a trap as Christians, thinking that God wants us to do good works to prove to him that we're good Christians. 
But doing good works is an outflow of being connected to him. It doesn't earn us favor. It doesn't garner us extra blessings. God wants to have all of us, and then he will work through us. So the good works, he planned those, and he wants to see that. The church is supposed to be a light wherever it goes. And I was reminded this past week, a number of devotions over about three or four days kept saying, are you a light to everyone that you interact with? What about that rude person in the store that waited on you? What about the guy or the gal that cuts you off in traffic? You know what you'd like to do if you could? You'd like to reach over and turn off that car somehow. You would like to slam on there, whatever it is. But yet, wait a minute. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be an example of light. The second thing he says that we would be growing in the knowledge of God. And I believe that is so much more than just knowing about God because we all know about God and we want to learn more, but it's coming to know that God is in our life, that God is directing all of those things as we surrender all and give it over to him. The third thing this section of verses says is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God is omnipotent. And when we come to him and say, God, will you please intervene for me? We all bring doubts to it. We're like that uh, doubting father who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. But it's knowing that God will be the one that is going to accomplish it. Yes, we have to agree. We have to do our part. But it is God's power working in us that accomplishes it. If we're doing those things, the fourth thing he says is so that we may have great endurance and patience. Oh, but Lord, Jesus, will you restore the kingdom now? Just like your children or when you were a child and you were in the back seat. I was one of those that grew up with six siblings. We would go up north every summer. There were seven of us kids, mom and dad, nine, in a station wagon without that third seat in the back. And every time I walk by an old car and look at that, I say, where did we fit back there? Well, my wife said, they just threw a couple of you in the back and said, be quiet. Okay. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Lord, will you now? Okay. Endurance and patience. And that's a beautiful quality of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. Then it says, last two, Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. You see, our praise and our worship, our singing, is very personal and individual. And yet, our praise team, when they start the service, strives to bring us and present us into God's presence. It's different week to week. There are some songs that resonate with your soul, your heart. Sometimes you vibrate and you say, oh, wow, I love that song. And other times it's maybe puzzling, but all of that is bringing us, preparing us to come into God's throne room. And we joyfully give thanks for all of those things. The last point in these two verses, it says that he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And I am so thankful that he has qualified me because I could never qualify myself. It's not what we earn to gain salvation. It's what Christ has done for us that we gain salvation.
I hope this week you will let that song roll around in your mind a little bit. Maybe you can find a better version of it. But the concept of this is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world. I rest me in that thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Father, what a blessing, what a privilege to be called your sons and daughters, that you brought us into the kingdom of heaven. We are called your sons and daughters. We are left to live in this fleshly world, and yet you're preparing us for all eternity to live with you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. We ask, Father, that we trust, that we rely upon, that we look to you, knowing that you will accomplish it through what you began, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.